honored to be here with you today as uh, Doug gets some time off and gets to go away a little bit. And I just want to thank you just real quickly for what this church does for the center. If you know who we are, we're the Food Pantry Resource Center for the Coffin County area. Uh, we serve a lot of people, okay? We serve about 400 families or so each month during our regular pantry. We do drive through pantries where we do another 450 or so during each month. And we also help people out with utilities and just different things of life. But the number one thing we love to do at the center is build relationships. It's not about just giving somebody something. We, we want to be able to get into their lives and find out what's going on with their life. When I came to the center almost five years ago, our purpose was to say, what can we do to find out what's going on in the lives of these people? They come every 30 days and they get food. Well, what's happening in between those 30 days? What's going on with them? And we also, the biggest thing of all is to let them know that God loves them. That what is happening here is a group of people have come together and said, God loves you so much. He wants to make sure you've got your basic physical needs to get through life. But he also wants you to know how much he loves you because the spiritual side, having God in your life, is so very important. And I want to thank this church, number one, for all the things that you do. You help us financially. Uh, we have teams that come out. Uh, you have a, I don't know if you know this or not. You've got a group of senior adults. Every second and fourth Wednesday of the month, and they've done this now for ever. And they come out and help us get a truck unloaded and those type things uh, every single month. Uh, the support that you give us, the prayer that's there, I just thank you for that from that standpoint. You, this is a great church. I enjoy being a part. In your Bibles today, Matthew 13, just two verses, verses 51 in 52, Matthew 13, 51, 52. Jesus talking to the disciples, only the disciples, only the 12 disciples. And he says, have you understood these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Bless this word today, this short time we have together just to Talk about your word and what it means for the blessedness to know who you are as Lord and Savior and what our responsibility is with that blessing. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My wife, Paul, and I met in youth group at our church. And for just a couple of years, we were just friends, just hanging out, and suddenly God began to bring us together. And we were excited, this young couple excited about life. And there were so many things we were looking forward to. One of the biggest things on our plate was we were excited about having a family. As we sat down and talked and dreamed, we saw this picture, okay, of these kids and running around. In fact, our, our kind of thing together was looking way down the road when we're, who knows, 90 years old, sitting on a park, you know, sitting on the porch, rocking in chairs, no teeth. I can't ever figure out why we, we didn't have teeth, okay? But for some reason, even dentures, okay? But we saw this, and this yard's just full of kids running around. This is our vision. We saw this. And we committed ourselves and said, Lord, when <clears throat> we get married and this family begins to start, when you give us these kids, we understand something. We understand that these children belong to you. They don't belong to us. We understand they're your kids, and you have just given us the honor and privilege to raise them here on earth. And so to do so, we've got the responsibility of raising them to know you, to be in the know of who you are, so that they then can raise their kids that way and so forth, so forth generation to generation. 
and then to be able to share that with everyone else that they know. This was what we saw. This is what we wanted to do. This is some examples maybe would be that we wanted to raise them up and help them understand how important coming to church was. One of the words I used was, was that church is not an extracurricular activity. Church is our lifestyle. So it's not now, not, I'm not saying, you know, okay, listen, you, you, you all have raised up kids and you've brought them in those Sunday mornings. I'm not saying we didn't have battles on Sunday mornings, okay? I'm not saying that. But never was the question asked, are we going to church today? That never came up because they knew we were. Because we wanted them to understand it was our lifestyle. As we got married and began to try to start a family, Paula was told by her doctors, you know, you've got some problems that are going to probably keep you from having children. Well, this was a little bit of a hit to us because we went, wait a minute, God, you said we were going to have all these kids. So we begin to reevaluate. He says, well, what do we do? And so, you know, God, here's the thing. If you give us kids, naturally we're ready for that. If we are adopting, we're ready for that. Whatever, because we know this is your goal, for us to have these children to raise them for you. Well, God blessed us. I have three kids. We, we had, went through four miscarriages. But we have three wonderful kids. And they're, they're now grown-up adults, and they're productive in life. We have my oldest son. Uh, he uh, always had a, you know that, that passage that talks about train them in the way they should go so they will not depart from it? The basis of that is that they stay in God's Word. But there's kind of a subtext to it. And the subtext is find out who your kids are. Find out what they do and what their hearts are and help them move that direction. So my son, my oldest son, Always had a servant and a protector heart. He's a police officer in Waxahachie. He's got a, my family, his family lives there. I mean, that's what he does. My daughter is, uh, uh, always had this teaching role in her mind. She's an educator over in Crandall. And her family live over there. And then my youngest son, we could tell, always had this ministry heart. Took him a while to figure it out. But when he figured it out, now he's, he's the student pastor at First Baptist Kaufman. We, as we brought these kids up, it was important to us that they always understood that they were in on everything in the family, that they, were never, they never wanted them to feel like outsiders. When we were having a tough time with money, which sometimes in those early days we did, we wanted them to know. And it was kind of clear in many cases, because we would go, this is back in, the, back in the 80s, so some of you will catch on to this, we'd be going to Arby's for the five for five. Who remembers five for five at Arby's, okay? They need to bring that back. The splurge nights where we got two five-for-fives, okay, that was a cool night. But we would tell them, hey, listen, money's tight right now. Or this is going on. Or this is. We always wanted them to understand that they were a part of the family and that they were in. And no real secrets. We thought that was a part of what it was. In fact, I was thinking as I was preparing for this, something that I did that I really didn't think till later on how it played into this, this illustration, but it works pretty well. I taught my kids a joke. Now, I need to tell you up front, the important part about this joke was that the joke is not funny. It's designed not to be funny. In fact, if you laugh at it, when I tell it in a moment, something's wrong, okay, because it's not funny. But what I would do is we would be in a public place. I would tell this joke, and the kids knew what they were supposed to do. When I hit the punchline, they were just supposed to fall in the floor laughing like it was the, most, the funniest joke ever told in the history of the world. What this did was it left your audience a little bit confused. Some of them thought, okay, these people are crazy. I don't, this is a stupid joke. This is, the words make no sense. What is going on here? 
I'm not sure if I even want to have any part of these people, okay? Some would laugh along. Now, they might have been laughing at the kids, or they might have been just laughing along. Okay, yeah, I'm laughing. I, have you ever done that? I don't get this, but I want to make sure nobody thinks I'm weird. And then occasionally, someone would say, what's, what's going on here? Can you bring me in on what you're doing? Now, by the way, I, you, you're going to be curious. Now the joke, I'll, I'll share this. Now, the joke goes like this. There are two ducks in a bathtub. Now, by the way, later on in life, the kids, sometimes we switch roles. And so they would tell the jokes. And sometimes it was penguins and giraffes and all kinds. It didn't really matter. They will use ducks. Two ducks in a bathtub. One duck says to the other, hey, pass me the soap. The other duck says, what do you think I am, a radio? And the crowd falls out laughing. What we wanted our kids to know was that they were in on everything that we did. And this little simple joke was an example of that. You're in on the joke. You know what's going on here. And we always want you to know that. But it was okay if sometimes someone from outside the family would go, what's going on? What is this thing you have happening? Tell us about it. Share it with us. And that's what we did. In this passage we see this morning, a similar thing is happening with Jesus and the disciples. He is telling them he wants them to be, know something. They are in the know of the establishment of the kingdom of God. They're in. They're sitting with the Son of God hearing his words that they are in the know for the establishment of the kingdom of God. And with this, it gives them some responsibility. They are to study God's word. They are to know God's word backwards and forwards. They are to understand it. They are to do, they are to practice God's word in every single thing they do, every moment of the day. And they are to teach and to share that word they know to everyone they know, family, Friends, whoever. That's their responsibility. But he also was going to tell them later on this. When you do that, guess what? Some people are going to think you're crazy. And some people are going to turn their backs on you and they're going to reject you. And will have nothing to do with you. And you know what? Some people are going to play along. They're, they're going to go, okay, you know, I... That's, that's pretty good. Let me, let me kind of play along with this. I'll, I'll, go and I'll, I'll show up at your events and I'll do all these type things. But some people are going to go, tell me what you're talking about. <clears throat> tell me about this special joy I see in your life that I don't see in anybody else. Tell me about that. And that's what he's doing with these guys. Let me give you some context on this just very quickly. Jesus in this situation, is, and we're in Matthew chapter 13, he's about two years into his ministry here on earth. Up to this point, Jesus has done something very important. He has established who he was based on all the prophecies from the past. He said, this is how you will know that this is the Son of God. This is how you will know, Jewish people, here's the Messiah. We've been telling you about this for hundred, a thousand years. This is who he is. And you'll know it by these things because he will do signs. He, he will do miraculous healings of people. 
Things like you've never seen before. He will heal the lame. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The mute will speak. He will do things like you have never seen before. He's also going to teach and he's going to preach. And he's going to teach and preach like you have never heard before. With authority that you just, it'll, it'll, it, where does this come from? And you'll be asking, where do you get this authority from to speak this way? And he'll be listening. And it'll just turn the world over. And so for the first part of Matthew, that's what he does. We see all these things. You know, the first couple of chapters, very quickly, one and two, we tell him about his miraculous birth and how that was prophesied. In three and four, we see him, uh, the baptism, the temptation, the calling of the disciples. He begins this healing of people. He begins this teaching. He begins the irritation of the religious leaders of the day. We get into five, six, and seven, and suddenly Matthew inserts in here what we call today the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is very important, and I want you to remember this because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. The Sermon on the Mount is a very detailed, clear message. It is not a hidden message. You read through it and you go, oh, I get that. I may not want to do it, but I get it. As a matter of fact, I always kind of think of the Sermon on the Mount as a little bit of an instruction book for Christians. Jesus said, this is how a Christian is supposed to live. By the way, you're supposed to pray for your enemies? Ooh, that doesn't sound right. Wait a minute, where did that come from? It is a basic of how we're supposed to live. In fact, a little side note, I would encourage every believer to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, on a regular basis. Because it tells us how we're supposed to live. Maybe it's their reminders. In fact, I'll even give another side note here. If you're here this morning, you go, well, I've been thinking about this Jesus thing and would like to know a little bit more about it. You know what you ought to read? The Sermon on the Mount. Because like he said, this is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're turning your life over to. Matthew chapter 7 and 8, we see just, it's almost like, I love the way Matthew does this. It's like, it's like a day in the life of Jesus. And we just see him like he's walking along, watching Jesus. He's healing people. He is talking to people. He is calling more disciples. He is battling with the Pharisees. It's just all these things mixed in to these chapters. You get to see who Jesus was and what he's doing. As a matter of fact, at the end of that chapter, chapter 9, Jesus says, Jesus went through many towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom. He healed every disease and sickness. That's Matthew 9, 35. But then you get into 10, 11, and 12, leading up to chapter 13, and we see something. Like our illustration earlier, Jesus began, the rejection of Jesus begins hard in these chapters. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders especially are turning against him hard. And they're questioning him and battling with him constantly. And some of the people are following along with that. We also see some that are playing into it. I mean, Jesus, hey, Jesus is here. He's out there on the hill and people are going in mass crowds. But you know why they're going? They're going to hear this, this preaching that they, that they love. They have no intention of really doing any of it. He might do something. He might do something pretty. He, he might heal somebody. Hey, he might feed us. You know, fish and chips. Be awesome. That crowd is there. And Jesus knows that. There are a handful that are going, I'm getting this. I'm understanding what's going on. 
And then even at the end of chapter 12, something dramatic happens. The Pharisees go, you know what? We figured it out. We figured out why this guy's able to do all this stuff. He's in league with Satan. You, you don't know that? Pharisees said, he's in league with Satan. And it was at this point there's a break. And Jesus, and if Jesus was like you and me, he, was, he would have said something like this. Okay, I said, I'm done with you. I'm not done on my life here and what I've got to accomplish, but with you, that's it. And so we see at the beginning of chapter 13, which is going to lead us into our passage this morning, that it says in verse 1 or verse 3, and so Jesus began to teach on this day, he spoke in parables. We're always thinking about Jesus teaching, you know, using parables. But if you look at the way it breaks down, it's a little different than you may think. These first couple of years, he's preaching clear messages with basically no parables, illustrations, no real parables to the people. And then suddenly here, because of this change that's about to take place, and for the, the remainder of his life, the next year, he's going to teach and speak continually. He's only going to speak in parables, meaning he's going to stand up and give the, these parables. Like, for example, it starts out with the parable of the sower, the, sower, the four soils. And he's going to preach these things. But here's the funny thing. In public, he's not going to explain them. He's just going to tell parable after parable after parable. And this is the way he does it for the rest of the time he's here on earth. He doesn't explain them publicly. How would you like it if next week Doug stood up here and said, guess what? I have a new preaching style. And what I'm going to do from now on is I'm just going to stand up here for about 30 minutes and tell you a bunch of stories. Okay, I'm just going to roll from one to the other. Okay, I'm not going to explain them. I'm not going to tie them into anything. Nothing at all. There you go. you love that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be weird? But privately, he would take these disciples when it was over. He would tell the parable. Privately, he would do this. In fact, the disciples say, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. That's Matthew 13, 10, and 11. Jesus had set the disciples down and said, listen, they've rejected me. And so this is the message that they get, which is an unclear, I don't know what this means message. Their eyes have been blinded. But to you, disciples, you're in the know. I'm bringing you in. I'm pulling you in. And you're going to know exactly what's going on. You're going to know exactly what the plan is. You're going to exactly know that I came here to seek and to save the lost. And you're going to know that there's a plan that you're not, you're not going to like, you're not going to understand, but there's a plan for me to give my life for all these people, even for those who are rejecting me. But you, disciples, you're in. You're going to know everything that I'm teaching you. You know, if you look at the Gospels, we understand that the Gospels are telling us about this. It's the life of Jesus. It's not really a biography. But the authors are trying to help us understand who Christ is and what he came to do and what he did. But there's a subline going on when you read all four Gospels, and it's this idea of this development and training of the disciples. That Jesus is working with them, and he is teaching them, and he is raising them up to carry the message when he leaves. And they did a pretty good job. You know why we know that? Because you and I are sitting here today. They became in the know. And they knew what to do, and they knew what to teach. And Jesus would tell them, you have this special blessing. 
that has been poured out on you, you're sitting here with the Son of God, hearing the words of God from my mouth. And now you've got the responsibility to take this out into the world when I leave. And today we have that same responsibility. I love what he says as he's going through this time with them and telling him, because what he does at this point also is he explains the parable of the four So He explains the parables to the disciples in point message. And he even says later on, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see and hear it and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. What he just told the disciples there was this. You know what? The, the, the prophets of old, all those people you've read about in the past, they'd be jealous of you. They'd be jealous of you because you're sitting here with me. And what it tells us today is those, those same people from the past that we read about would be jealous of you and I if we're believers in Jesus Christ <clears throat> because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us daily, every day, never leaves, always there. We have it. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand what is going on. And this, for a quick example, we'll go into our points and then we'll be done. But he says this, right before this passage he tells, he, or this passage where do you understand, he gives him one of the parables, he says this, in Matthew 13, 47 through 50, he says, And the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, the men drew to shore, and they sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In this place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't explain it publicly to the crowds, but to the disciples he does. I'm talking about end times. I'm talking about the separation when I come back and the righteous will come with me and the horrors that will happen to those who don't know me. Disciples understand what it means to be in the know. Because you've got to tell these people so you can help save them and bring them into the kingdom. And so here's what he does. So it's funny, you know, it is interesting. He says, do you understand these things? I love it because the disciples said, yes. They probably didn't, okay? And Jesus understood. Teachers, how I many of you are teachers? We have teachers in here? Yeah, we know. You say that to your students, don't you? We, we, here's all the stuff on the, you understand it? And they go, yeah. You go, yeah, I know you don't. But you understand that they're taking that progression. And so Jesus takes this yes and he says to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure what is new and what is old. He's telling them to be scribes. Now, just real quickly, the scribes of those days weren't necessarily people to admire. They had kind of lost their way. The scribes were one of the different religious sects that were out there under the, the, the Jewish umbrella. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Assessians, the, the scribes. They were kind of like different denominations in a way. And they all basically hated each other, truthfully. The only thing they ever got together on was their hatred for Christ. That was about it. And so, but Jesus is telling them, you need to be like the scribes. And they're probably thinking, okay, what is, what, they're, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Well, the scribes had some responsibilities. If you go all the way back to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, Ezra, who's moved on back to uh, Jerusalem to help them rebuild that, and his job is to establish the worship there. And it says this about Ezra. 
And Ezra, the scribe, set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes to Israel. So there's three things that Jesus is telling the disciples to do. But it's the same three things he's telling us to do every single day. Number one, we are to study the word. We are to study the word. Ezra set his heart, devoted, determined, prepared, and consumed in studying the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself as God is one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. We study the word. Listen, I, people talk to me all the time, and we begin talking spiritual things, and, and I ask them, well, do you, are you, do you understand? Do you have the Bible? Do you understand the Bible? Oh, I read the Bible all the time. Well, I don't know whether they do or not, okay, but they say that. And I want you to hear me real quickly that reading the Bible is a good thing. It's what we do. I have a time where I sit down and literally just read. I have no commentary. I have nothing around me. I just read. But I challenge you that there is a different level when it comes to study. Studying and reading are different things. Let's just face the fact. If you were to sit down and read through this, this, this chapter 13 of Matthew, you would probably go... Well, that's pretty cool. I really don't understand anything I just read, okay? But it's really pretty cool, so I'm going to go on to chapter 14, right? I'm going to keep on going. We study because we need to know the depths of God. We need to both know in the know of the knowledge of what God has. It's how he gives it to us. The disciples had the blessing of sitting face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with Christ. We don't. He gives it to us through his word. It's there. We study it. We study it in depth. We learn it. Why do we learn God's word? Well, number one, it's infallible and complete. All scripture is God-breathed, totally authoritative. It's all profitable for teaching and reproof and correction, for teaching and training and righteousness. Totally sufficient for our needs. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, and accomplishes what it promises. So my word will be goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall be accomplished. It shall accomplish what it purposes and shall succeed in everything in which I send it, as Isaiah 51, 11. We need to study God's word. We need to be students of God's word. It, listen, you're blessed here at this church. You've got Chris, you've got Andrew, you've got Suzanne, you've got Doug. And sometimes people think like this. Well, they're the guys that study, okay? They study and just tell us. It makes it real easy, right? That's not what Jesus said. As believers in the know, we are to love God's word hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says, into God's word. Most of you in this room probably wouldn't skip a meal, would you? In fact, we're, I don't know what time it is, but you're getting to the point where you're thinking about lunch maybe here in the next 30, 40 minutes, right? We don't skip those things. What if our hearts were so devoted like Ezra's was to studying God's word, we couldn't skip the time to read God's word? Study the word. Second thing is to do it, to practice it, because we... um, we put these things into practice. Real quick illustration on this. Okay, so we talked earlier about the Sermon on the Mount, this nice, clean, clear sermon that Jesus wrote. Do you remember how he ended it? He said, those of you who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like the wise man who builds his house on the what? On the rock. And so when the winds come and the waters rise and the storms come, the house stands firm. But then he also said, those of you who hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice are like the foolish man who builds his house on the 
sand. And so then when the winds rise and the waters rise and the storms come, the house falls with a great crash. Notice the similarities and the differences in what's taking place here. First of all, he says, all of you heard. Every one of you heard these words come into your ears. They came there. You heard it. But some of you did what? Some of you put it into practice and were wise. Some of you did what? You did not put it into practice and you were not wise. But then you notice something that's back in common again. They both had the same storm hit them. It would be awesome if we became Christians and all the storms of life went away, wouldn't it? They don't. But we now have the power and the rock to stand on to, to cover those things and to help us. Stand. We get beaten, we get torn, we get tossed around, but we stand. We put it into practice so people can see it. When I was raising our children, when we were raising our children, our goal was to show them by what they saw, not for us to sit down and talk about God. We wanted them to see in our lives that we put this into practice. Were we perfect all the time? No. But they needed to see that. And now our grandchildren are seeing that in them. And it's not only with family, but it's with your coworkers, it's with your schoolmates, it's with, with all these people that you're with. They need to see this, and they need to see us, these words we say that we do put into practice. Number one thing I hear over and over and over, and you've heard it too, when you talk about someone that doesn't go to church, has been uninvolved in church, what do they say? All those people are hypocrites. What are they saying? They're saying they talk about this, they just don't do it. That's what a hypocrite is. And the, Jesus is telling the disciples, you've got to study the word, you've got to know the word, but you've got to do it. People need to see it, you've got to practice it. Why do you practice it? Because then you have the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are in your life, and people see them. How different would our world be today if all of us as believers stood up and truly became the fruit of the Spirit? Wow. But it's hard. And the last thing he says is, so you studied it, you're practicing it, we need you to teach it. Make known my will, his will, to others by teaching the truth. Not our truth. And this teaching of the truth will bring them in the know to help future generations to remain faithful, to encourage them to share, to make disciples, teachers, true scribes, or what we would call today ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. I love this quote, you cannot effectively practice what you have not thoroughly learned, and you cannot convincingly teach what you have not practiced. When... Um, well, as Jesus is trying to develop his disciples, he's, he's a great teacher. And those of you who are teachers, and we understand this, that you have to progress people along. And you, once you feel like they've got a grasp of something, then what do you do? Well, you give them the next level, right? And just keep working them up. When I was a kid, probably about eight years old, we lived over in Pleasant Grove. I lived on Bruton Road. And some of you may know about that, because we probably got some Grovites in here, don't we? And right down the street from me, like a block, was the Bruton Terrace Shopping Center. Awesome play. There was Gibson's there, there was Tom Thumb there, and the greatest store ever, Emmy Moses, okay, which was a great place. And then later, like in the 70s, they built the Bruton Terrace 4 Theater, which was amazing, okay? It had four theaters in it. It was great. One day my mom comes to me and she says, she has me sit down, and she says, I want you to do a chore, or I want you to do something for me. I want you to go to Tom Thumb, and I have a list of things I want you to buy. And on this list is like bread and milk and butter, and I don't know, there's like five or six items on there. Now, you're going to laugh at this one, okay? She gives me a $5 bill. 
and says, bring back the change. Now, those of you who are younger have no idea what I just said, okay? Because every one of those items costs $5 now, okay? I think Paul and I went shopping last night. I think we took out a loan before we left because it was just crazy. But so, and she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this list. I want you to go to Tom's Thumb. I want you to take this $500 bill, and I want you to buy these things. I want you to come back, bring me all the items on the list, and change. I said, okay. So I go and do this. And apparently I accomplished the job pretty well because after I'm doing it in the next week, I did it again. The next week, I did it again. And after about three or four weeks, he sits down and, and says, well, I'm going to add something to the list that hasn't been there before because I need something. I also want you to buy eggs. Now, I don't know if any of you ever know about, about eight-year-old boys, but eight-year-old boys drop stuff, okay? They just do. I mean, they drop everything. And I don't know if you know this either. Eight-year-old boys like to throw things. Listen, eggs are awesome. God did a great thing when he made eggs. They, they scramble, they fry, they do all these great things, but they're also aerodynamic. They are awesome. Not only are they aerodynamic, when they hit their end, they blow up. I mean, it is great. And this is the new responsibility she gave me because why? I had succeeded in the things before. Little side story, the eggs made it home safely. Jesus is doing that with these disciples. He is growing them. He's, a, he's got another year of hard teaching to get them to grow because he wants them to know that they are completely 100% in the know. Jesus is asking the disciples so they understand what they've seen, heard, and lived up to this point. They needed to know they would understand what is coming next. The kingdom of heaven was going to be established without force, but through the self-emptying of the cross, the love of the cross. Did they understand it would cost everything for the sake of the kingdom? Which leads us to this. Do we understand? Do we understand what it means to be in the know? Do we understand that means it will cost us everything? Jesus asked us to turn everything over to him. And that we become people who study God's word. We love God's word. We thirst and righteous, we thirst, hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God's word so we know it. We understand his truth, which in many cases knocks out our truth. As we, as we study it, we practice it. We practice it every single day. We practice it at home. We practice it at Walmart. We practice it everywhere we go. And people see that at work, at school. We see it everywhere. And then we teach it. We start with those closest to us. And then we move out. We become true ambassadors. Understand it means we have to give up things of our life, our anger, our hurts, our, our grudges, our opinions, our ideas, because we turn it all over to him. Our question this morning is, believers, do you understand and are you in the know? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the fact that you love us so much, that you care for us so much, that you literally said, I want you to know everything. And then you give us the privilege and the honor to share your word and to tell the world, a lost and lonely world, about you. Help us be ambassadors for you to study, to practice, and to teach every day. And today to see how it is a blessing to know we are in the know. We are in the knowledge of you every single day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.